Hey, deserving listeners, we have a special guest with us back on the podcast to talk about three common mistakes that people make as they are starting their private practice. For those of you who aren't clinicians out there, private practice is when a clinician, a therapist, a counselor decides to uh, work, you know, become an entrepreneur and start their own business, uh, hang a shingle, as they say, rent an office or work out of their home office and see clients and they get to take the whole uh, uh, money. They get all the money from the proceeds. I don't know how to say it. You know, maybe Laura will help me out. <laughs> uh, and you also have to pay for all your own expenses and whatnot. And it's a crazy kind of uh, situation because counselors aren't inherent business-minded people who are you know super um, comfortable with paying taxes and with. Uh, advertising themselves and that kind of thing. And so Laura has been on the podcast before talking about her workshop that she uh, has, this wonderful workshop that helps people with starting their private practice. And she has a new uh, uh, workshop coming up July 28th, which is a Saturday. Saturday, July 28th, 2018. 2018. And is it on Mercer Island again? It is Mercer Island Community Center. And you want to go to what website to register for it? Uh, www.openyourpractice.com. Openyourpractice.com. And it uh, is, you know, usually not a, it's not like dozens of people. It's usually, you know, a small group and yeah. you get to help people. Intentionally with smaller to be interactive. Yeah. Yes. So I thought Laura would, I asked her to come on the podcast and talk about three common mistakes that people make when they're starting the private practice. Let's introduce the podcast. This is the podcast called Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Laura? My name is Laura Matthews Gransbury. Uh, I am also. Oh, you're going. You're going with the. Uh... Yeah, I'm trying to make this transition. It's very. Uh, a lot of people in my personal life have made that switch over to Gransbury very easily, um, but students still call me Matthews, and my clients still. So I got just, married. Yeah, we got married last September, and actually just got back from our honeymoon uh, last week. So. Trying to make this transition, and I'm going to hyphenate for a while. I I don't really know. This so is I, a I get it. I get it. <laughs> tough thing, I guess. So for a while we had John Cougar, and then for a while we had John Cougar Mellencamp. Indeed. <laughs> and then after a while, he decided just to go John Mellencamp. Yes. And you know, hence all the confusion. So right. it's a wonderful choice, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just confusing people. It's fine. And who are you, and what are you? Uh, I'm a therapist and an instructor at Antioch University, Seattle. So what are the three common mistakes that people make as they venture into private practice? Uh, I Well, I can list all three and then we'll go into detail. Does okay. that sound good? Um, the first one I've got here is failing to build a team around you. Um, that's mistake number one, which I'll talk about in more detail. Interesting. I'm intrigued. Yes. Uh, mistake number two is, um, has to do with marketing and hanging your shingle as you indicated and, and sort of, I've heard this term hope marketing, which I always kind of resonated with me. Just this hope that the phone will ring. You know, I've put my name out there. I've told my colleagues that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this and I, I hope they refer to me or, right. um, you know, my website should be enough. I hope people call, uh, so without really networking, um, it's not that you won't get clients. It's just, it's a lot harder. So Yeah, I rem I had that attitude when I started out and there's, and I see people make that mistake too. It's, it is completely delusional that that style of marketing is going to work at all. Yeah. I mean, maybe one of your cousins will refer a client to you. But in my experience, uh, the people that you just happen to know are, you know, wonderful supporters, but they're right. terrible at referring one because they don't necessarily know people looking for therapists right? and they don't, and the people that know them don't know that they have a cousin that's a therapist. So, right. so it's, it's a pretty bad uh, model that is doomed to fail. So, so yeah, so you want to get into marketing. What's the third thing that they do? Uh, the third thing is uh, cash flow management, you know, like you've got your practice up and running and, and now you're taking clients and taking money and taking insurance. And what do you do with all of that? And how do you set money aside for taxes? How do you navigate this? Uh, if you're, if you are taking insurance, this ebb and flow of the, the 
you know, billings that come in, how do you cover yourself in the meantime? And I know you've got some stories about, you know, when the economy crashed and everyone sort of pulled back and, you know, if you don't have reserves, how do you weather those storms? So, um, and honestly, just a day-to-day cash flow management as well. Um, being proactive in your in your business treating it like a business right like if you're a mcdonald's owner for example Mm -hmm. the thing that i tell people is um i tell people that eventually what you need to do before is you need at least like 10 to twenty thousand dollars ready to go for the bad times Right. Uh, for the, you know, the ups and downs. And when I say that to students in particular, they just, they laugh at me. Right. Because they're like, I don't know if I'm going to earn $20,000 in, 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 yeah, in a year. <laughs> I felt that way. Yes. But, mm. but then I tell them if you're in private practice, eventually you're going to be making 80 plus, you know, per, per year. Right. And, you know, you sock away five grand every, you know, few months or something. Cause right. you know, you're, cause a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, that's you know eight thousand dollars a month. You're if you're still living like a college student, then yeah. you know your expenses shouldn't be commensurate with eight grand a month. You know, right? And all like that. And so, um, so eventually, you want to get to a place where you have ten or twenty thousand dollars. That's what I did. Not because I just wanted a huge bank account, but because there were times when, like in '08, after the housing crisis and the ec- economy crashed. Um, all my clients basically, uh, you know, terminated. Right. I mean, not all of them, but or or many of them just sort of naturally terminated, and I didn't get any new clients. And I think I said on the last podcast, there's one week where I had two appointments, and then it snowed, and they didn't come. Yes. And so I, I so you know that twenty fifteen grand just over time, and I started to really watch how much I spent, you know, right. over that time, and you know it. So it didn't drain quickly, as quickly as normal, but it definitely drained over time because so, so people like, well, that's crazy, like that I would need that much cash. But if you're in a, if you're a McDonald's owner, for example, there's going to be times when, you know, you're going to have ups and downs, like a, a new burger shack opens up down the street and everyone's super excited about that. And your entire business dries up for it for a time. And you still have to pay the electricity bill. You still have to pay your manager, your, rent your and, employees, you yes. know, and, uh, and, uh, you can't just say, Oh, I'm not making any revenue this, this month. Well, I guess I'm not going to pay my bills, you know, and that's it's not advised to do right. that. <laughs> so, so if you're a business owner, you know, especially if you're the main income or only income, then you absolutely need that. Having said that, there are a lot of people who are married who have spouses who have salaries, for example. Right. And if your business dries up, then it's not much that big of a deal to you. And, you know, God bless you if you have that option, I suppose. It's a good situation to be in. Anyway, so th- so number one was what? Number one was failing to build a team. So what do you mean by that? Uh, basically, private practice doesn't mean solo practice and shouldn't mean solo practice. Hmm. There's a... There's a lot of value in creating a network of people around you that you can lean on and lean into. Um, everyone from a supervisor to a consult group, um, making sure that you have not necess- not uh, that you have to have a lawyer on retainer per se and pay them, but you should know you should have someone identified to contact if you if something ever goes wrong. Um, know who's in your community that can help with those kinds of things. What about the introverts out there? The introverts, meaning that they are terrified or it's just not their routine to network or reach out because that's what it was like for me when I was starting out. The idea yeah. that I would just, cause you know, for a time before I worked at Antioch full time, I, I, I was completely isolated, you know, and, um, for the most part. And, uh, in private practice? In private practice, yeah. yeah. I mean, I knew some people, but but there were times when it was extremely isolating. And the notion of just sort of reaching out, because if, if you don't know people naturally, then you kind of have to push yourself on other people, you know? Like, so who do you know that knows a lot about the law? And, and you know, someone I, or do you know of a lawyer? Like, it, 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 
that leap is just a little bit for some people. Right. Like, do you have any advice for that? Yeah. It's a lot easier today than it maybe was when you were starting out uh, give, with social media. There's a group, a group on Facebook called Therapists. I don't know if you're a part of that specifically for the Seattle region. And I know that... I think um, I am, yeah. I know that there's other ones in other cities. And, and yeah, you can post for recommendations. Do you know somebody that works with these people? I need legal advice. And you'll get sort of a string of responses. Um, so it's, it's even less daunting, I would say, than, than emailing somebody directly and, and going that route. But that still is leap, still, a, it is a leap. Yeah. And my encouragement is to take the leap, um, to practice that. Uh, it's, that's, that's why it's a common mistake because I think fear drives a lot of that for people. Yeah. Um, and getting, getting past that, we encourage our clients to face their fears every day. So I'm going to encourage you all to do it as well. <laughs> uh, I, I had to, it's certainly something that I had to face. I think we all, this, uh, lends itself to introvert personalities, right? We, I kind of joke that we all lock ourselves in a room and talk to one, one person for hours on end, you know, big groups are scary. So it's, it's not intuitive, but it's a, it's a muscle that you can exercise and, and flex. And it's important and necessary because you'll do better work. If you feel like you have a, a core group around you, you're more free to do the work with your clients that you want to and, and that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, what else could you do to build a team other than, you know, Facebook and other things you've mentioned? Mm -hmm. It's, I think there's leaning into pe the people you went to school with as well. I, I don't know if it's a unique situation that Antioch is so community oriented, but I know that, uh, it is. And I am still friends with people that I went to school with. Um, and, I network with them. I talk to them. I consult with them. Um, people that I have had jobs with. Uh, I worked at Eden Recovery Center for a long time and Center for Discovery. And I, I have colleagues from those communities that I am in consult group with. So tapping into the people that have walked some leg, leg of the journey with you is, is important and I think safer, you know, um, in terms of making that leap. You know, it feels a little easier to call up somebody that you've known for a while and say, Hey, I'm trying to put a consult group together. Uh, what do you think about meeting once a month and talking about cases and clients, um, and things like that. But it's, it's really important to connection is really the message here. Yeah. Not only for well-being and self-care obviously, and better practice, but also, um, getting clients, you know, uh, yeah. getting referrals and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, just to maybe put it in concrete terms for myself and people I know, there's, and I talk about this sometimes, there are people, not me, but there are people who have consult groups that meet, you know, a couple times a month mm -hmm. that last for decades. Yes. And these are six clinicians who know each other really well and, you know, go through life transitions with each other and yes. obviously consult about cases and mm -hmm. refer to each other and have ideas about private practice and stuff. Um, so there's that. Then the specifics of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of. Yeah. I would say maybe every other day someone p posts an interesting question, you know, like, right. I think there was a recent there. So there are two, there are two, there's the therapist one in the Seattle area, but there's also the Antioch Peer Consult Group. Are you a part oh, of that Oh, I one? didn't know that about that one. Yeah, I see a lot of stuff from there. Mm. Uh, and it's a closed group. But anyway, people will, people, someone just posted something the other day about how to design a super bill, you know? Like, right. Like, like, how do you do, because there's so many weird things in our... Terminology. Yeah. yeah. And, and forms and like, because you're communicating with insurance companies or um, sometimes lawyers and the, uh, there's no information out there. There's no book about, you know, here's what you do. Here's the, and the only, and there's no, and if you did get taught it in school, it was very brief, yes. if at all, probably never taught it. And so you need guidance around, you know, how to do this thing. And so, so these, so there's that. Then and that's I, where our class comes in. Cause we, we teach okay. you how to Sorry. Go ahead. Yes, off. please. <laughs> we teach you how to how to do this. We teach you how to build the team, who you need, how to reach out, what 
how to take the fear. This class is really designed to take the fear out of this really what might feel like jumping over the Grand Canyon leap into private practice and building a team around you and having those people makes it less scary. Do you provide actual like referrals or anything or is it just advice about how to get those people? It's really advice about how to get those people. I, I, I talked about you in the last class and that you, you're sort of my touchstone in terms of if something really went, and I've, we've talked about this before, if something really happened significant that, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. I, oh, I had a colleague that had something come up with her client, you know, diagnosed with a terminal illness. She didn't really know what to do. And I thought about like, oh my gosh, if I didn't, if that happened and I was having trouble processing, I would probably call you or say, you know, say like, I ran into something and I do not know how to deal with this. Mm. And and having having somebody there to to bounce that off of, even if it's just for five or ten minutes, is so important. Mm. Um, we talk about the importance of a CPA. I know you do your own taxes, but mm. I am pro CPA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes I wonder how much money I'd save yes. if I actually had a if I because how much do tax people cost per year? Um, it varies. It's generally f- around $500 a year to do quarterly taxes. Some I've seen charge up to $800 a year, but that is tax deductible because it is an expense for your business. So. And the service obviously involves filing federal mm-hmm. taxes and I guess state and city as yes. we have in Seattle. Um, but also like uh, coaching through the year about what to keep track of right. and what to maybe spend on and how to depreciate stuff and all that kind of stuff. All all the things that you would never think of, like how to depreciate your office furniture and your computer (laughs) and write that off and things that are, that you are buying and needing for your business anyway, and how to make the most of the money that you are making. Right. And I find that a lot of people in private practice are, they, because I, you know, supervise a lot of people in private practice, and so we'll talk about taxes at times. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, although I do have a my bachelor's degree is in business, and I, <laughs> I didn't and know I, that. I did take a lot of accounting actually. That's funny. So you might have a better comfort level I than say I like my comfort level with taxes and accounting. Even though my mom's an accountant, I should know better. But my comfort level is was nil. I, I had, it freaks me out. It's scary. <laughs> so, it's scary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th- with the new products online, H&R Block and TurboTax, I mm-hmm. believe, they, they walk you through it. And, uh, but you definitely, I mean, I have to, whenever I do my taxes every year, I, I know I'm, I have to sit down for a whole day, like yeah. without any interruption. Right. Cause there, there's so many like little, roads that you have to go down you're like oh that's right now how do i find that figure especially when you own a house and you have a home office and right. you have a car that you use for business sometimes and yeah okay and the so mileage ha- and it's right. just so having an mess. actual accountant is yeah. is a good expense and might actually even save you money um i think it pays for itself is right my plug for that yeah um but yeah i mean one of the things that i find when i'm talking to supervisees recent grads that are in private practice that I, you know, I'll say something like, so, you know, you can, you can write off, uh, your, ex, you know, you're paying me for supervision. You can right. write that off, you know? And they're like, I can. Right. And I, the, the, the level of, you know, the, the, the light that shines in their eyes, like, wait. And I'm like, yeah, you can write off like so much, so many things you can yeah. write off your workshop, for example. Yes. If you take this workshop, it is a, even I think, and I'm, I'm not a hundred percent clear on the actual time frame, but I think it is six months before you start the business, you can write off sort of lead up expenses. So if you take the workshop and open in inside of six months, or maybe it's a year, I'm not, oh, I, think it's more, I think it's more like six months. You can, you can write it off even if it's not the business isn't technically open yet. Right. And obviously if your business is open and you take the workshop, of course, yeah, hundred percent right off. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, the, and so once I learned over time, uh, what I could write off, I, I, you know, I keep all my receipts and, and, you know, little things like you buy a new, uh, you know, keyboard for your computer, right? Like if you do work on that computer, that's, that's a, you know, it's a work computer. And so it's, you know, you can write that off, um, and every little bit counts. Okay. So, so building a team, having a CPA, mm-hmm. having someone that you can consult with that, you know, knows a lot about ethics or 
um, an experienced person that can you can bounce stuff off of right that you because another part of it is the the trust that they'll get back to you right yeah because you kind of need someone to get back to you quickly you can't wait a couple weeks for them to Right. So, so let's say you run into something clinically and you don't have a consult group and you don't have a trusted supervisor or a mentor in this case, and you need maybe some feedback in the next 24 to 48 hours and you reach out to a colleague that you haven't talked to in a year and they're busy in their life and there's, oh, I'll just get back to them at the end of the week. And now, now you're panicking. Now there's this moment of I'm isolated. I'm in private practice. Why, why did I do this? And the, the fear just runs rampant. Right. Um, and so guarding against that, we teach you how to guard against that. Great. Yeah. And so what's the next tip? The next tip is uh, around marketing. When you this hope hope marketing um, uh, right concept, right? Uh, so it's hang, a mistake hang, that people do. Oh yeah, this is yeah. So hanging your shingle and hoping, um, and this is again, there's so much fear involved in this, and there was for me as well, which is the, was the birth of this <laughs> workshop. Was there was so much fear. I'm lucky to have a partner that was so steadfast in the belief that I could do this and push, 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 you know, you can do it. You can do it. Cheerleader all the way. Um, he was wonderful in that. And I'm not sure what I've gotten done if it wasn't for him, but I, I, I was lucky there and he helped me with a lot of that fear. And once I got it up and running, I realized how crippling that fear can be. Um, in, in this process and specifically around the marketing, because as we talked about, we are, Tend, tend to be introverts in this field and selling ourselves is very scary. Yeah. So a lot of people, I'm going to start private practice and I'm going to hang my shingle and I'm going to put up my website and then I'm going to watch my phone and hope it rings. And that can be really, again, I think you might get a client or two, but it, I, maybe, you will, maybe yeah. you will build so much slower than, than you, you, can, you know, yeah. And and some necessary. of the yeah, and some of the clients will actually not be uh, good. For right, example. right. Well, yeah. ideal for you, yeah. Right. One like when I, so when I started out, that's what I did. I did the hope, the hope marketing strategy, and the clients that I got were either kind of like pity cases where mm. someone knew I was trying to start my practice, and they're like, "Well, this problem, this this you know niece of mine probably needs therapy, so I'll sort of harangue her to see you, you know." Right. And that's not a good situation. No. Or two, they're they're so close to you that you actually can't treat them, which happened to me as well. One of my very first clients, at the end of the session, it, I suddenly, as she's t talking with me, and it just, you know, because I was starting out, I didn't think to ask her how she was referred to me. Right. At the end of the session, she revealed who, like, a little detail about her life, and I was like, oh, wait a second. So, uh, so-and-so is your sister? Mm. And she's like, yep. And I said, I can't, I, I can't, see, you. I can't yeah. see you. Your, your sister is one of my best friends. Oh no. And, and I see your sister socially almost every weekend, you know right. what I mean? And, and I had to terminate with her at the end of the session. So, so the hope, uh, or the, you know, the, the networking among the people, you know, will result in these kinds of referrals. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not ideal. And being, Gosh, that place of hope. I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing myself there again. And it was very difficult to, it takes a lot of grit, you know, to, to get up, to go to those networking events, to sign up for things like Seattle Counselors Association and go to those monthly meetings and walk up to a group of people and introduce yourself and ask what they're doing and talk about what you're doing. That, that takes gumption. I'm, I'm never going to deny that, but it's so, in, in, it's such an integral part of building your business right. and uh, building a successful practice. Yeah, I like the way you're describing it. It's when, because I was the same when I started out. I, I was just like, I just want things to happen, and I, 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 and once I, you know, I hope the world just knows that I'm a really good therapist or I'm really trying hard, right? And I have very good intentions, um, and really, to some extent. When I was starting my private practice, the landscape was quite different. I mean, the internet was not ubiquitous. Right. Um, so, uh, so for example, 
I, I didn't have a website until I didn't need one. Do you know, like, uh, like eventually, um, I learned that you have to have a website because you have to publish your disclosure statement like online. It's like, I think it's a part of HIPAA or something. Mm -hmm. And it couldn't be a part of HIPAA. Anyway, the point is, is that uh, I learned that, you know, ethically you're supposed to have your disclosure statement available to anybody basically. Um, And so that's when I designed a website, (laughs) you know what I mean? So for for the first, you know, 15 years of my career as a, a private practice, um, I didn't even have a website because really no one had websites because um, that wasn't really a thing, you know. Right. Um, and it's just a wonder how I managed to get clients actually back then. Uh, but but now, obviously, like that's a huge thing. And website, I mean, you might not get clients from your website, but people, when they get referred to you, they're going to go to your website, right? right? And how that website looks is is, I think, critical. You know? I agree. Yeah. I've seen some really great ones and I've seen some ones that are very mediocre. So <laughs> well, and, the, the thing I always laugh is that they always have that stack of rocks. You yes. Know what I mean? There's like, and then a babbling brook. I know. And yeah. then they name the, and then, they, which is fine, I guess. Maybe that appeals to some people, but, and then the, they name their counseling practice something like, you know, um, what would it be like, you know, um, What's a typical name? Like enhancement therapy or something or or um I know what you mean. Wellspring. Wellspring. That would be a good one. Wellspring. That, that's a company actually. Okay. They do a continuing education. <laughs> um and you know, it's maybe it appeals to some people. Right. I don't know. But all right. I know is I think what happens is therapists they they don't because they're not marketers, you know, right. and they're not experts on web design and everything. And so they, they probably just pick a template and something that looks like, you know, okay, to, that passes for a website. And then they just set it and forget it. And um, there's so many more things you could be doing, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, and they make it – there's a lot of companies that make it very easy to set up a website. The website is the first step in, in the marketing piece, having a place for people to go. Uh, we talk about this in our class, how to build it, where to go. We provide all the links for all of these things, how to get pictures without having to credit and copyright infringement and all of this stuff. Like we go into a lot of detail about how to, how to do these things and take, take the difficulty out of it. And they make it pretty easy. These companies make it pretty easy to build a a good looking website. But we also talk about like, um, like Wix and Squarespace. Yeah, definitely. And our Open Your Practice website was actually built with Wix. So, and it was a very easy process. Their customer service is fantastic. So, we talk about all those things. And we also talk about what to name your practice and how that matters. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, what's your advice about that? <laughs> so, I, it was funny. The last uh, workshop that we did. Well, I'm going to pause you because we have to take a break. So, okay. I'll uh, talk it'll, about be it. a, it'll be a teaser. Okay. Hey, Deserving Listeners, we're really excited to have Talkspace back sponsoring the podcast. Talkspace is an online therapy organization that hooks you up with therapists in your state, because it has to be you know, legal and ethical, in which you can interact with over the internet, over video, over email, over chat, and get therapy. And it's relatively cheaper than other, you know, than in-office therapy. You are actually working with a fully licensed person. They, they, only, they only hire therapists who are fully licensed, meaning that they're not recent grads. So they have a lot of experience. And they also train all of their therapists for that form of therapy, because online therapy is, you know, it's different. It has some different elements to it. And so they, they make sure that they train all of them. My former student and supervisee, Shannon McFarland, is actually in charge of all that and, uh, you know, swears by it all the time. Even Irvin Yalom, who I've talked to, one of my heroes, actually is working with Talkspace. At first, Irvin Yalom thought that online therapy was ridiculous, as most of us did when we first heard it. But Irvin Yalom, you know, you can you can teach an old dog new tricks. He he not only saw the benefits of online therapy, but even decided to work for them. And he he works for Talkspace right now, or he consults with them or something. 
And so it, it it's not for everybody. Some people want in-office therapy, but some people don't. Some people want... So the benefits of, of Talkspace style is that you get a talk with your therapist almost every day. I think Monday through Friday, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe every day. I don't, I don't know. And you get to um, interact uh, wherever you, you're at, right? If you travel a lot, if you're busy, it's a lot more convenient to, you know, in the middle of your workday, you could just fire off an email and get a response pretty quickly rather than having to wait for a therapy session and then you have to drive there and find parking and blah, blah, blah. So, so there's pros and cons. And for some people, they, they really like online therapy. So if you're interested, I encourage you to go to Talkspace.com and use the promo code Kirk. You have to use the promo code Kirk because when you use the promo code, it signals to Talkspace that you're one of my listeners, which means that they will continue to uh, sponsor the podcast. And it's a pretty big deal when someone actually just flat out sponsors a podcast. It, it, it provides a lot of funds, which, of course, means I can spend more time on deep dives and whatnot, So, uh, which I, I would like to cut back even more on uh, my regular work so I could spend more time on the podcast. So if you're interested in talk space, you're interested in online therapy. The other thing is, is if you use the promo code Kirk, you get a discount, which means that you know, try it out for a few weeks and see how it is for you. Maybe it's not for you. But it, even if you just sign up for a month or something, it uh, is a, enough reason for Talkspace to continue to sponsor us. So again, Talkspace.com, use the promo code Kirk for a discount, and that will be good for everybody. <laughs> you get a chance to see what that's like. Talkspace gets some business. Uh, therapists, frankly, you know, these therapists are in private practice, right? They don't, Talkspace doesn't hire a therapist, they just contract with them. So these therapists, these, you know, uh, early career therapists are getting some work. And if you use promo code Kirk, I, I get, you know, I guess kind of a, a, in a sense, kind of a kickback. So again, Talkspace.com, promo code Kirk. I didn't choose the promo code Kirk. I, I would have thought of some other promo code, but they, they, they decided to go with Kirk, uh, which is kind of narcissistic, but uh, we all know that I'm on the spectrum. Okay, back to the show. All right, welcome back from the break. We're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so now. Go to patreon.com. Become a patron of the podcast, and you get access to all of our premium content. There's hundreds of episodes along those lines. We just did, uh, I just did, about 10 hours deep dive on narcissistic personality disorder. And that took me months to do, if not years in some ways. And so when you become a patron, you get access to those episodes along with other ones as well. Um, also, we have our 10-year anniversary show coming up August 11th, 2018. That's exciting. Are you coming? Uh, I am now. You, you came to the last one. Yeah, I came to the live show. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a similar thing, yeah. if you're interested, but it's not on campus. It's going to be at North North City Bistro in Shoreline, Great. Washington. Um, and if you come, you can meet Laura. So uh, continue what you were saying about webs or no, uh, what do you call your practice? What's, yeah. your, what's your advice? So my advice is to the, the make it as simple as you can, but also in the name, say what, what y- you do. Right. So the problem with the like babbling brook corrective experience therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So the name, so simple example, the name of my practice is family stability counseling, because when I opened my practice, I, my husband asked me very pointed questions about the kind of clients that I wanted to see and the kind of people that I wanted to help. What was the goal? And I said, I, I love family therapy. I want to help families become more stable. And so in that dialogue of working through that, we landed on family stability counseling because that's what I really wanted to help with. That's fascinating. It's so obvious, but that's never occurred to me Yeah, that you would actually, you know, it's so obvious, right? You, that your name should reflect what you do, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that never crossed my mind. Right. And I don't think any therapists do that. Right. Like they, they call it Wellspring or right. Babbling Brook Therapy. And or- as a result, the people that call me are families, people that 
I see individuals as well, but they call me because they're struggling with family of origin issues. Okay. So I have a, a full practice of family work, whether it's with individuals, marriage, couple counseling. Um, so what if someone wanted to have a, a practice in which they saw adults and couples? Like, would they call themselves <laughs> individual slash couples therapy Seattle or something like no, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, come to the class and we'll work through how to, how to get there. It's, it's really, um, cause you might have to limit, I suppose. Like if, yeah, if you want to limit the re- words and like the, I think you said like seven words. Just right. <laughs> like, Maybe it's like relational therapy Seattle or something. Yeah. Um, like you, so I guess it'd be a hard choice because on some level, if, especially if you have a kind of broad focus, right. you might have to limit yourself a little bit. But it, you get such a gain by having at least some name that has a distinctive you know, uh, attraction for people to Correct. say, oh, this is a name that obviously – and the other thing that, that I tell people is like – um, even if you've never seen a client before, if you have a website and you have a name and you have a license, they'll assume you've been doing it for a while. It's true. <laughs> so the very first client that came to you for family, you know, stability counseling, uh, family stability counseling. Yes. Uh, F F S C. Um, yep. That's how it's abbreviated in all of my <laughs> shorthand notes. Yes. Is, you know, the first person who came to you they're they're like, well, I mean, this you know, this place is called Family Stability Counseling. Right. They they know what they're doing. Now you did because you know you'd been working been in the field for a while, yes, for a long time. But you know what they didn't know is that you were their very first family stability Private practice. Can- yeah. yeah. Uh, and so my point there is is like for people not to be afraid to market themselves as competent and and able yeah. because they are. You know, they've they've they have a master's degree, a doctorate degree. They you know they've been through internship and you know they're they are therapists they're yes. legit yes. you know and and to to lean into that and to uh, be that yes inadequacy will never end you know the feeling of being being a, an imposter or not good enough you know all of us you know grew up in families where uh, you know criticism wasn't always you know like received wonderfully well i mean right. how, how many times you know do you criticize a 10 year old and like, thank you so much for giving me constructive feedback. <laughs> right. You know, 10 year olds take, you know, they take negative feedback negatively. They're very upset. So we all as a, you know, species, uh, especially in, in such a squishy field like therapy that has very little concrete markers for success, you know, this sort of thing. Yes. So it never ends, but um, don't wait for that feeling to end uh, for you to stand up proudly and say, this, this is, is what me. I'm doing. Yeah, I yes. can. I'm I I'm fairly confident I can help you if you come to me. That kind of thing. Anyway. Right. Uh, okay. So so that's a mistake they make is the hope marketing strategy where they just hang a shingle and help, and then your workshop helps to work on strategies for for marketing that go way beyond the hope strategy. Absolutely. We have a whole big section of the workshop is dedicated to marketing and, and how to do it and what to say and how to go about it, how to make business cards and put yourself out there. You, yeah. ha- you have to tell people what you do is the, is the baseline here. There's, you know, think of a, and it applies to every industry. If you, I called a plumber today. Why did I call the plumber? Because I researched online, got a recommendation. He had a website, the whatever. And I called, you know, you have to tell, there's this element of, if you don't, go out there and tell people uh, right. what you do, they're not going to know. So what happened to Why do you... Oh, we're remodeling on? our condo. It's not a big deal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I need a bathtub installed. It's nothing fancy. <laughs> uh, is it, so it's not a fancy bathtub? Like I don't... It's... Cloth no, light? No, I wish. No, no, no. Oh. It's just a normal... Normal Normal, bathtub. normal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, so I, I find that it requires a lot of different angles, right? So you have website, SEO, um, cards, maybe pamphlets, ads um, that you might... Press kits. We talk about press kits. Okay. Yeah. Um, your headshot, obviously. Mm-hmm. Any videos you might have going on podcasts. Right. Getting on radio. I'm telling get, people about what we're doing yeah, this get, very moment. Get, yes. Getting on TV. I mean, I, I supervise someone who got on... Um, channel 13 here in Seattle yeah, and was their weekly 
correspondent on relationship issues. Wow, and that's she, awesome. Oh, well, um, do I know her? Uh, Shannon, was she in your section of case consultation? No. Oh, anyway, uh, but um, and she, you know, got clients that way because you're on. Yeah. The news, you're behind the anchor desk and you're talking about relationship issues for three minutes every Friday or something. Right. And that's because she reached out to them and said, hey, you know, do you, do you need any da-da-da? Um, uh, different websites like Psychology Today and um, Thumbtack and um, other kinds of things uh, that you can do. Obviously, you know, Facebook, Reddit, there's Facebook ads, obviously, you can take out. You know, it's just a lot of different angles. Uh, I, I knew I had a supervisee who put, took out an ad in a basketball, uh, a high school basketball uh, program. Interesting. So, yeah. So she paid for a, you know, a, a high school that was near where she was, you know, right. she wanted, she was a family therapist. And she took a full glossy color ad yeah. in this in this basketball program that said, you know, having trouble with your teenager? Come to me. You know? Right. And, uh, you know, we didn't know if it actually, I can't remember if it actually amounted to anything. But, you know, that, that was her strategy of just like, you know, trial and error. You know, it's worth the $300 if I get two clients or even one client, it's, it's, it'll pay for itself. So, right. you know, just all these weird angles, you know, and, and, um, and other providers as well, mm. doctors, psychiatrists, ARMPs, people that Prin principals of a elementary school, right? Yeah. PTA people, you know, there's, there's a lot of times people can only do so much. And the answer is therapy and, they need people to refer to. So you need to put your services in front of as many people, as many eyes as you can. So you can be at the top, top of the list. Yeah. What I tell people is when they're first starting out in private practice, they have a lot of time in their hands because they're not working very right. much. And so I say, if you spend two or three hours a week, you know, even just thinking about this and event, you know, eventually that changes into actual action. Um, you'll be way ahead of the game in terms of like marketing. Right. But what a lot of people do is because they're terrified or shy, um, they just they just don't do anything, you right. know, and or they feel like there's nothing that they can do. You know, they they don't know there's options, or they feel like the options are so remote or right beyond their capabilities or something. They just don't even start. You know. Yeah. And, uh, and so your work, so remind us when your workshop is again, July 28th, 2018. So this month. And they go to openyourpractice.com. Openyourpractice.com. Yes. Uh, okay. And, uh, what's the third mistake that people make? The third mistake is around finances, cash flow management. Uh, we talk a lot about the, you know, the, the intake of funds and how to allocate those funds. And we go through, uh, my husband set up a few flowchart models of this is what you could do, but this is going to cost you a lot of money and you're going to lose a lot of money. And um, if you're not setting things aside for taxes and not consulting with the CPA, uh, sort of the pitfalls of that. And then a middle of the road model, this is ideal. And then this is the best model. And we actually, he's built a, like a timeline spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, which Anybody that takes the class will have access to. We give it to them. Um, so you can plug in your own data. This is what I did this month. This is what I did this month. And it sort of projects out. Um, it's like a cash flow uh, model, I guess, is the best the best way to, to say that. So we, we do a really deep dive into how to manage the uh, financial aspect of your business because you are a business owner. And that's a huge part of it. It's not just... You know, when you work for somebody else, they do all of that, and then you you get the check, right? Which is nice, right? <laughs> Which is why some people don't want to go into private. One hundred percent, and yeah. that that works for for some people. And uh, but this is when you're doing it this way, you're the one that has to do all of that, and that can be pretty daunting. Yeah, I was talking to a supervisee recently, and I mentioned quarterly taxes, and mm -hmm. she, she's in private practice, and she's like, "Oh yeah, what's that again?" Oh no, I know. And I was like, S "You're not paying your quarterly taxes." Yeah. And she's like, well, I didn't really, you know, and, and, and I, I said, uh, one, uh, you can actually be fined by the IRS. And it's a percentage, yeah. For not doing it. So right. you're throwing money away yep. by not doing it. And two, 
the uh, the so you know quarterly taxes for for those people who don't know is when you're in uh, when you when you're an entrepreneur and you're of a certain level of revenue mm-hmm. you you pay the IRS uh, what in in four installments yes. throughout the year estimated quarterly taxes right. is what it's called and what you're trying to do is you're trying to guess what you're eventually going to have to pay for right. the whole year and you're just spreading that out in an actual equal amounts is the typical way to do it so if you if you're going to pay $25,000 in taxes or say $24,000 in taxes come April 15 you have to pay $6,000 uh, in in March or April, $6,000 in June, September. For some reason, the quarterly taxes for quarter two and three are, you pay a, a half month early, which is bizarre. Right. But anyway, um, and so if you don't pay those, then you have this massive payment. So not only are you going to get fined potentially by the IRS, but two, you uh, will have this, you know, you'll have to pay, you'll have to write a check to the IRS for like $15,000. And yeah. You know, most people don't have that cash laying around. They've spent it is right. the other problem. And and so now they're looking at uh, trying to get an extension or uh, selling their car to like pay their taxes right. when all you have to do is do what everyone else does, which is following the law. And that is just paying your quarterly taxes and, and budgeting, you know, and the, the as we were talking about it, the thing that I landed on that seemed to resonate with her, which it, I said Every, you know, because a lot of our clients pay $100. Mm-hmm. And so I said, when you get that $100, 20 of those dollars is not is, yours. Is not yours. Right. It's 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 um, Donald Trump's, you know. <sighs> so you have to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you have to, you know, think of it that way, you know, right. that it's not yours. You know, the government, the federal government gets about 20% of everything that you make. And uh, so. Um, so, and so when you have a bank account and you say you have $6,000 in your checking account and you haven't paid your taxes yet to, you know, one and a half thousand dollars in that bank account is not yours. Right. And that's a very weird way to think, you know, it is. And you have to get very disciplined about it as well. And we talk about that in the workshop, how to set up your bank accounts so that these, these flowchart models that we talk about in the, in the class, um, how how they flow into the different bank accounts. So you you name them different things. You essentially just open a bunch of checking accounts and you name them or savings accounts and you name them different things and you have the money flow in there. So you're seeing it, but you it's not yours to touch, right? So you should have a savings account, like an overall savings account, like we were talking about for snowstorms in the middle of a recession. And you should have a savings account for your taxes that are due quarterly so that when you know, that you need to do that. You either send it to your CPA or if you're doing it by yourself, you write the check and put it in the envelope and put it in the mail and it's there and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. The, the other barrier, that's a wonderful idea. I don't do that. Um, I am of the organization that I'm, I'm I I use Excel like a lot. Like Mm -hmm. I, uh, it, it just keeps track of everything right. I, you know, right away. And then come tax time, I just, I just look at the revenue essentially and sort of take a guess at how much I'm going to, anyway, the point is, is that, um, I'm sure your system is much more, uh, flaw proof, I guess, uh, to, Fluid, maybe. to people who are starting out. I've cobbled together my system over time. Right. Know? Um, but the, the other problem that I see with people with taxes is that uh, I find that there's a lot of people who are basically in denial about taxes. You know, like even when they were salary people, they uh, but they could kind of be in denial because it didn't matter because their their employer was was taking money out all the time, and so they they only had to really face the fact of taxes come April. And a lot and these people tend to be the April fifteen filers, you right. know. And so I used to be that person. Um, I'm not. I am as soon as possible. I love doing my taxes because I I, I, I want to get it off my I want to get it off my right. uh, you know my situation. Plus, once you become successful, it's actually kind of interesting to see how things are are going. You're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, right. that, that's how much I made this year. Anyway, um, so uh, people will even with their salary, they'll wait till April 15, and then 
then they're because they're like, I hope I don't owe anything. I hope I don't owe anything. And then the last minute comes, and lo and behold, they owe some, they owe something, right? And they don't have it, and it's because they've just been avoiding it this whole they're time. They're hoping. Yeah, they're hope, just hope. they're they're just in denial, and, right. and and I get it. It's upsetting, but if you're gonna, but particularly if you're gonna be in private practice, like that shit has got to stop. And I, I just flat out just say that to my supervisees. You know? Yeah. So the supervisee who was going through this, I was just like. I'm guessing it's because you're you're an avoider of taxes. You're you avoid it, and I'm telling you, like that shit has got to stop because one, you're gonna be, you're gonna end up paying more money in the yeah. end. Two, you're probably not saving your receipts the way you should be. Three, you're gonna be in so much pain come next April because right. you haven't been uh, paying your quarterly taxes that it could ruin your life. Yeah, you know, think think about the. You know, the best case scenario is you get an extension and now you have $20,000 bill of the feds that's, that's growing in interest, by the way. Right. And you, and it's hanging over your head and you, and you want to kill yourself because of this debt that you're into the federal government. Right. It's, it's the worst, you know? And, yeah. I, and, I see this cash flow management as a self care piece. Yeah. Yep. And, but there's an emotional leap that some people have to make yes. around like, okay. I now accept that taxes are happening, right. whether I want to acknowledge it or not. Taxes are happening, and I need to accept that, and it's a part of my life. Right. You know, it's, a, it's, it's like taking out the garbage. Like, you know, some people, they look at the dishes in the sink, and they just want to go in denial about it. You know, right. we all overcome that with maturity. Like, okay— I know I don't want to do the dishes, but it, I have to. So might as well get on it. Taxes are the same thing. You have to rise up and say, I'm an adult now and I have to pay my taxes. And it's a part of my life. I accept it, you know, rather because the other. So there's a transition that I see people go through is um, once they kind of accept it, what every time they pay taxes or every time April 15th comes around, they freak out anyway. So even if they're just sort of accepting of taxes, they're still like depressed and angry and anxious about it because I think it's because they've they've wished that they won't have to do it. You right. know, they they haven't really accepted the role, you know. Like for me, I'm at the place now where like I said, I kinda like doing my taxes. Like cause because what other choice do I have? Do you know what I mean? It's a perception shift. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about that in the that's like the opening of our class really is that if you are going to go on this endeavor and take this leap, this emotion, I think you called it like an emotional acceptance or emotional shift or something, but it, yeah, we frame it in this perception shift from salaried job, which is where that, tra- that mindset comes from that training that you don't ever see that, like it just comes off the top. So the only thing, when you have a salary job, you look at the, I mean, I do do it still. I'm salaried in Antioch. So I'm like, oh, there's my in the little window, you know, <laughs> like the, that's all I look at. And that's all anybody's looked at for X amount of time. You know, we've had jobs for ever. And when you're so used to that, and then now you have to shift your mind into a business owner mindset, that is and that's an actionable, intentional process. Right. And we talk about that in the workshop about how to go about doing that, how to create this shift from I'm a salary person that works for somebody else to I'm a business owner that works for myself. Mm. And we we deep dive into that a bit as well, because you're absolutely right. It's it's a it's a thing. Yeah. And and I hate seeing people suffer for reasons that aren't are due to their perception and their attitude, you know, right. Because it's like when I see people suffering about taxes in a given year, unless something anomalous is happening, like they lost their job or something. But if it's just routine taxes and they're suffering and they're upset and they're stressed out, I'm like, unless you change the way you think about this, this is all going to happen again next April. You know, your your life is going to be ruined once a year, you know, right? Uh, unless you like have Lots a way. stress. Yeah. Unless you <laughs> sort April. of accept the fact that it's happening, you know, yeah. there's a saying that says there, you know, the only thing inevitable in life is death and taxes. You know, it's like there, there's, there's, yeah. there's not a lot you can depend on in the universe and to our death and taxes. And so why, you know, uh, be upset about it just, it, it breaks my heart to see people upset about something that, um, is just a part of life, I guess, you know? Um, and if the other thing that I tell people is 
if you're paying 20 grand in taxes, that meant you made. This is my, that's what came to my mind when you were saying this. That, that means that's you, a good thing. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you have to pay taxes meant that you that made. That means you have a successful private practice. Right. And yes. so, so by definition, if you're paying a bunch of money in taxes, you've made a bunch of money from Indeed. your practice. And so you should have that extra money. It's not like the government just finds you 20 grand a year right. you know it's like it's a it's a percentage of what you made and so uh so if you haven't budgeted for it then you know it's your fault you know like you like you you were given that money and you just you didn't think of it in the way that you should be anyway um i wonder if my attitude about uh cuz i i feel like i adjusted fairly quickly i don't adjust to other things fairly quickly but i adjusted to this maybe it's because when I was young, I was an ice cream man. And, uh, you know, like the, when you drive around neighborhoods. Yes, with the song in the truck. Yeah. and I did not know that. And it was set up as a as a business. So Interesting. It, the Ice Cream Joe was the franchise. And so I would go to the Ice Cream Joe headquarters. Mm-hmm. It was in Lake City. And you rent the truck. You buy the ice cream wholesale. Yeah. Um, and then... You buy your own gas and everything, and then you and then you go to your neighborhood, and then you can charge whatever you want to charge. Interesting. You're a business. Yeah. And then when you get back to the uh, headquarters, you can sell your um, un, unused ice cream back at wholesale. So it's so it's all private practice. Practice, you know, entrepreneur. I'm 19 years old, right? Driving around South Everett, you know, da 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 yeah. da. And there were days when I made a killing, like a day like today is a, you know, beautiful uh, Seattle weather day. I would, I would make a lot, Yeah. but there would be days when it's raining and no one wants it when it's raining or very few. And I would lose money because I would be renting the truck and, you know, all Paying that kind the of gas. stuff. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and so I wonder if that's maybe where it comes from. And then I had to pay taxes, you know, f- for that at the so end of the So you've been doing this for, since a very young age. So you're a little more <laughs> attuned to <laughs> what, what that takes then probably. Uh, well, any final thoughts, uh, about the mistakes, these three common mistakes? Yeah, I, I think there, these are, these are the big three. Um, there's certainly, certainly more and this class is designed to help, help with that and, and take the fear out of these big hangups that I think clinicians innately know are there, but don't know what to do about it. So we're sort of the solution to that problem. We're going to tell you what to do about it and how to fix it and what to avoid. Um, I mean, it, it sounds like you have a very specific advice, like exactly what kinds of bank accounts, you know, and this is the flow chart of your cash and like 100%. That's it's, pretty interesting. It's highly detailed, highly specific. You get uh, a checklist, you know, that was, that was the big, when we sat down to create this workshop, Dustin asked me what, what, what is it that you wanted that you didn't have when you started private practice? And I said, I wanted somebody because I'm a checklist person, (laughs) I wanted somebody to give me a checklist to go down the list and say, this is what you need to do. And this is the order you need to do it in. I had no problem doing the work. I was ready to do all the things I needed to do. I just didn't want to miss anything. And I didn't have that checklist. And so I said, I want to provide that to people because I think it's crazy that we don't have that. Right. Things like business license. Yeah, we um, go through, we walk through the entire process of getting a business license, how to do it, all the steps. Right. It's amazing. And it's cool. fun. We had a great time at the workshop. We had great people show up. We have a we had really wonderful feedback, lots of testimonials on the website. People it was really that was probably the best moment for me because I wanted to to do something good, you know, for other people and a couple of the testimonials said, you know, before this I was kind of iffy on whether or not I could do this and now I really feel like this is totally doable and I, I, I've got this. And that was the best feedback that I could have asked for. Is this workshop a repeat of the other one or is it like advanced? It's not advanced. We're just running the same okay. workshop again. Um, we might in the future do things like advanced marketing. Uh, that was some some feedback that we got. Like we would love to hear more about the marketing piece. Um, but we're still just in this beginning. We've improved it a little bit. In fact, we've expanded uh, sec- a section on with uh, this for social workers. I don't know if you you know this, but as a result of the last podcast, we actually had a couple people from the School of Social Work at UW come to the class, and I. I, that was surprising to me because I I didn't 
I, I, I didn't really know how to network over there. I don't have contacts over there. Most of my contacts are in, you know, Antioch and things like that. So it was really, um, awesome that they were there. And so we've sort of expanded some sections to be inclusive of, uh, social workers that want to start private practice. So it will be an improved upon version of, of last, uh, last workshop as as anything would be you know <laughs> you run in enough times right. um but it's yeah same content yeah I th- I, this is also a, a example laura is an example of someone who is, is not so you're not only teaching people but you're also a, an example of someone who is um developing one's career in, in various different ways. Yeah. So not only private practice, obviously, and getting, you know, so you went through, you graduated 10, I think. I think so. Yeah. And, and you worked um, at, uh, eventually you worked in eating, uh, eating disorder recovery clinics. Mm-hmm. clinics and then uh, started private practice, uh, started teaching at Antioch and now you're full time at Antioch. And now you're kind of graduating to this other level where you want to, uh, champion the this local private practice support and workshop and um, and you have a lot of um, uh, goodwill towards and compassion towards people trying to start the private practice and you from what I understand are providing a service to people that you wish would have was available for you back then. 100%. And, and you're actually not charging that much, you know, um, compared to like other kinds of workshops like this. So it's not yeah. like you're rolling in a bunch of dough on this, you know, uh, maybe eventually in the future, but, <laughs> but, but for now, you know, it's, you know, it gets, it, it's interesting, you know, you get some money, but it's also, um, this, this compassion thing. And the, the thing that I want to point out for people out there is that, uh, in who are in the field or who are developing their career is there's a lot of different options, you know, and, uh, and a lot of it has to do with building your own career. You know, there's like, there are some situations where you can get a salary job and work there and, and, yeah. you know, and that's definitely has its, has its thing. But then the nature of our profession and the, the, the available gigs that are out there and the gigs you can just create like this workshop um, are, are so abundant. Um, I don't know if there's another profession that's really like that, you know, where like you could, like you could cobble together a career where every day of the week you're doing a different kind of gig. You know what I mean? Yeah, it it is that way. I mean, when I look at my life currently, it's sort of like that. Some days I teach, some days I see clients, some days I work on this, this class, this workshop. So, Yeah. I mean, there's really three things on my plate right now and I do something different every day. Right. You know, uh, and so it's a, um, another example of someone who, you know, took this career thing by the horns and decided to, you know, what, what did you have passion about? You had passion about family therapy. Mm -hmm. You had passion about, um, helping people in private practice starting out you have passion about teaching, you know, it's, it's finding, you know, where that passion is and, and going for it. Um, I was just talking with a supervisor yesterday and her passion is couples and individuals. And, and so she's really accepting that, you know, and she's like, how do I get there? And, and she's, um, she believes that she can get there, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, am going to help her, you know what I mean? So, and other people too. So it's like, here's my vision for my career. Um, how do I get people to help me with that? And, um, you know, and so you, the workshop is both a way for people to do that, but also an example of, of someone who went into private practice and built something for themselves. You know, the workshop is essentially like a, an offshoot or a different version of a private practice. You know, you, you have a website, you're going, you're trying to get clients, you're trying to get students to come. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's a long-term thing. There's cash flow with the workshop. You know, it's all, it's a meta kind of thing with that. It's true. It's a, definitely a parallel. Yeah. A lot of similar principles apply yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Laura. Oh, thanks I want to ask you, me. are you going to the WAMF, the, w, the Washington Association of Marriage and Family Therapy Conference in September? Oh, in um, the AAMFT one or the WAMFT one? The WAMFT one. So I'm so, going to AAMFT because I'm, I'm oh, doing my supervision oh, okay. class there. Yeah. Which is like where? It's in uh, Louisville. Okay. 
And uh, well, so the the local chapter of the Marriage and Family Therapists, it, there, there's a conference in September. I was just wondering because I'm sure I will go. Yes. Okay, yeah, because because <laughs> you know Jen is in charge. Yeah, of it, right? yeah. Um, but I have a. I just you know I I'm doing a breakout session on how to use social media to enhance your practice. That's great. And uh, so and I'm kind of excited about it because it's a presentation that I could probably just talk off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that, but there's just so many different things that I could, that I feel excited about talking about. That's awesome. Um, and so I'm going to talk about how people can, um, obviously podcast is a, a thing that I know about, but they're, you, you can create a YouTube channel or obviously a blog or um, you can become a Twitter personality mm-hmm. um, to either enhance, to, to get clients into your practice is a big thing, but also to maybe even supplement your current clients or um, contribute to the field somehow, uh, have creativity or even make money from the, from the internet somehow, you know? Right. So, uh, so that's, so that's my, my uh, breakout session, but the keynote speaker, I believe, is going to be um, – so the organization that I'm board president of is Game to Grow. Have yeah. I ta- I've talked to you about yep. it. Yeah. So um, the uh, directors, Adam Johns and Adam Davis, are have been asked to at least do a breakout session, if not the keynote. And it's going to be on how, do you, how therapists can use games, uh, tabletop games like Dungeons & Dragons therapeutically. That's awesome. With clients, yeah. And so um, – so hopefully you can come, Laura. I yes, and I'll uh, put it on my calendar and other people as well. Um, that's September twenty nine, I believe, twenty eighteen. If you go to the Washington Association of Marriage and Family Therapy website, I'm guessing it's it's there. Okay. Um, well, thanks for joining me, Laura. It's always great to see you. Welcome back. So you you went for three weeks in Europe, right? Just under three weeks. Yes. How was that? amazing (laughs) it was wonderful what what was some highlights uh i'd never been to amsterdam we spent three nights in amsterdam and what an amazing city so rich in history and i love architecture and design and that's sort of my hobby passion if you will um if i wasn't doing this i would just be decorating houses um so there's just so much of that there it's just such a rich um rich city and in terms of the the architecture and the history and they're they're all happy <laughs> you know and it's a it's just a cool place to be um the van gogh museum was fantastic mm-hmm. we got the audio tour and it, it took us through his life and those 10 years that he spent painting which was f- phenomenal and um then we went down to france and sort of spent the rest of the time in france so paris is my favorite city that exists on the planet and we spent four nights there and just walking around and we didn't go to a single museum and that's okay because <laughs> I we'd gone to the ones last time we were there but uh we just kind of lived you know just kind of wanted to feel what it would be like to live there and watched a lot of the world cup uh in cafes uh yeah what part of town did you stay in well that was interesting we um, we wanted to stay in the Marais, but we ended up over in the seventh. So we stayed at this little hotel, like two blocks from the Eiffel Tower. Okay. Uh, so we got to see the Eiffel Tower sparkle, which I know is like totally lame for Parisians. They think that's ridiculous, but well, gotta, I think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, see it. So yeah, it's kind of like, you know, how often do we think about the Space Needle? We don't really ever think about it, but yeah. uh, for tourists, I guess it's cool. So we, yeah, we got to sit under it and watch it sparkle a couple times because we were so close. So those are some definitely some highlights, and if you can ever make it to Provence, that's a very very cool part of France. It's I heard, yeah, a beautiful beautiful area. Yeah, I think Bob was talking about that. He went that was one of his favorite trips he's ever been on. Yeah, wine country and yep, and all olive trees. We went olive oil tasting, which was very cool with all the bread and ah, it's just amazing. <laughs> Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do.